Hi there, and welcome back to the Brave Parenting Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Brave Parenting, Kelly Newcomb, and this is where you'll get the encouragement, insight, and information you need to raise children of character in our media and technology-saturated world. You know, we call it Brave Parenting because it takes a lot of courage and hard work to keep up with technology and all of its changes, and then choose how you and your children will incorporate that into your lives. Our ultimate goal here is to keep you from feeling powerless and ill-equipped and frankly just overwhelmed at the task of raising tech-savvy kids. So let's jump straight into today's show. In our news today, we're going to be talking about scrubbing your social media as well as the World Health Organization's screen time standards. Our character focus is going to be on the virtue of self-control. And our app's five facts, we'll be going over the app Discord. And in our family focus, we're going to talk about video game screen time. All right, let's jump straight into the news happening now. Scrubbing your social media, that's a hot topic right now, especially after the Washington Post did an article regarding the NFL draft picks and how their new rite of passage is to scrub their social media before the NFL draft. It has um, been occurrences before where there has been NFL draft picks who at the time, you know, it comes forward that they have been found on social media smoking marijuana or doing other inappropriate activities. And that really um, has left the NFL feeling, um, you know, very distasteful for this image that these players are leading during college and then sort of going into their professional careers. And so now they're being encouraged that before this draft comes to make sure that you are scrubbing your social media. What that really means is cleaning up anything that might be inappropriate before this time comes when someone could find something that could be sort of um, defaming or um, embarrassing to the NFL. Now, this scrubbing social media is a growing popular tool on social media. You can find many websites and programs, um, tools that will do this for you. You can um, simply search Scrub Your Social Media. You can type your name in, which is sort of a, a dangerous task if you think about um, what information you're giving this website. Um, and they will then tell you all of the content on your social media accounts if you give them access to them. That could be um, damaging to your integrity, to your character, basically helping you manage your reputation, telling you what you should delete and whatnot. So this sort of gives this illusion that you can say and do whatever you want on the internet and social media and then scrub it clean before you become a professional or before you become a legitimate adult and then that is okay. However, the truth remains that the internet lasts forever. If you've posted something, someone out there has a copy or a record of it, even if it's deleted from Instagram, from Twitter, from whatever that is, that we're, that forum that you posted it on, Someone could have screenshotted it. Someone has a record. And that's the reality. And that's really an important thing to recognize for yourself as for your children. Um, some of these um, social media tools and programs that help scrub it clean, you know, I think it's interesting as I was doing some research on them, you know, they tell you um, to consider deleting some of this following content, provocative or inappropriate photographs, videos, or posts. Posts or photos that include drinking or using drugs, um, anything discriminatory related to race, religion, or gender, content that complains about previous employer or colleagues, 
um, as well as posts that are overly cynical, grumpy, or mean. So if you were to take a look at um, a teenager's um, social media, or even a college age student, young adult's social media profile, chances are you're going to find a lot of exactly that because um, they share life as it happens. And a lot of times that is a lot of what is happening. What's interesting is that they're encouraging you to, re- to add or to keep anything that reflects integrity and responsibility. Um, content that projects you as a professional or projects a professional image. Content that shows a friendly and positive personality. Content that shows you to be well-rounded with a wide range of interests. And also content that shows that you have great communication skills. So it's very interesting when you compare what we know people should see about us versus what we're actually putting on social media. And I think this goes true for parents and adults in general, as well as for children. We know the image that we want people to think of us, but because we love this freedom of speech and freedom of sharing our thoughts and opinions, um, we sort of just put anything and everything out there um, on a whim, um, sort of lacking the self-control that we're going to talk about in our um, character focus. But we really need to remember that um, it's not about curating or creating this fake version of ourselves. When it comes to our children, we want them to actually have integrity and responsibility and have it automatically displayed on their social media accounts. Um, we don't want them to fake being professional or fake a professional image. We actually want them to have the ability to be professional, to know what is right and to wrong to post on the social media. Again, we don't want them to fake friendly and positive posts. We truly want them to be that person, whether on or off the internet, whether, you know, posted on social media or in real life. That's who we want. And that's always our goal. And it's important to remember, um, going back to the story with the NFL, you know, this is the second actually news story in a row. Last podcast, we talked about the NCAA um, and the phone ban that the Texas Tech College had uh, imposed on their basketball players in order to get them to the final game, the NCAA championship. And here, what we're looking at is um, NCAA football players and um, and their social media content too. So it's definitely becoming um, a more and more talked about issue is what is posted online, how much time is being spent on their phones, all going back to the character of who we really are at the core. Um, not just what happens on the phones and on social media. In another piece of news, we have the um, World Health Organization has recently announced their standards for screen time, especially for young children. Now, what they've released actually says that infants under one one year old should not be exposed to electronic screens at all. So one year and under, no screens at all. And that between the ages of two and four, they should not have more than one, and they say, quote, sedentary screen time hour. So that would be essentially a a sort of just active consumption where they're just sitting there, viewing a screen, consuming whatever it is that that screen is giving them, whether that be a TV show, um, a cartoon, even could be something that they're just sitting there watching with mom. Now, they do say that, you know, children under five um, obviously should be making sure that they are exercising and having a lot of um, physical activity. They should not be restrained into strollers, high chairs, 
or strapped to a caregiver's front or back for more than an hour of a time. Um, and then again, that physical activity should be at least three hours a day, and then it should be at least 10 hours of sleep per night. So that's their recommendations. It is similar to the recommendation that the American Academy of Pediatrics had recently re released um, within the past couple of years, um, and it mimics with that under the age of five that it should be um, a limited amount of screen time, and under the age, they kind of say 18 months and under, no actual screen time. But the reality is, is in today's day and age, that is really hard if you talk to a mother of a, of a young infant or baby. This is a hard task because either they're on their phones to be productive, or maybe they're on their phones because um, sometimes the mindless activity of, of parenting an infant, of the routine, um, the constant feeding, changing diapers, all of that. Maybe they're not interacting with other adults. You know, maybe they are on social media. Maybe they're checking email. Maybe they're texting with family. They're asking questions. They're seeking answers, whatever that, whatever that is. But the point is that the baby is seeing the screen, whether they choose to actively put it in front of them or not. Um, and so that does become hard. Um, reading, you know, some discussion regarding these World Health Organization, you know, a lot of people are giving backlash saying this is impossible. This is an impossible task. There's no way that I can possibly have my child physically active for three hours a day. Maybe you don't live in an area that has, you know, out safe areas outside, or you don't have access to places that you could bring a baby, a park or library or something that is more of a learning or physical activity type of thing. And then you are constrained to the home. I think the key is, you know, whether it be the World Health Organization standards or the American Academy of Pediatrics standards, or frankly, you know, the standards that we as Brave Parenting help encourage you to create in your home. The point is, is that there needs to be a standard, that the free-for-all of, of technology sort of taking over every aspect of our life, I mean, including to our young children, that is what really isn't good. We want to be conscious about how much screen time our children are getting. Um, if we're not conscious about it, they can get multiple hours at young ages. And although the research has begun and it's continuing um, to, to change sort of all of our perspective is how that young brain is being developed when exposed to so much screen media, what reality is, is it's probably not good. We don't really know, but we're really suspecting that it's probably not as good as that physical activity, as that um, learning, as that engaging um, with peers, even if at the young ages um, under five years old. So this information, you know, take it as this is a, a respected health organization that is essentially leading us as, as parents searching for answers, guiding us to a general standard. Does that mean that if you do 45 minutes, your child's doomed? Absolutely not. We, we shouldn't, you know, shame ourselves as parents if we allow a little bit more on certain days and certain seasons and certain times of life. But definitely work towards a goal. Set a standard for yourself, what you think is healthy, what you think is best, and work towards that goal. All right. In our character focus today of the podcast, we're going to talk about the virtue of self-control. This is one of those virtues that you can look around in society today and say, we've sort of all lost it. We've kind of all lost the ability to control ourselves, especially when it comes to the smartphone. We instinctively grab it at the first 
um, sign of boredom, the first feeling of not having anything to do, the first desire to feel connected um, to someone, whether it be through text messages or phone or social media. So what is self-control specifically for our children and how do we teach that, right? That's a good question. And I have a whole chapter in my book, Managing Media, Creating Character, where we talk about self-control. And what I learned in researching this, and this is, I think is really fascinating, is that self-control is a limited resource. In the course of one day's time, both children and adults only have a limited amount of self-control that we can exert. And if we exert all of our self-control into one space, um, and then we say that's at work and then or school, and then we come home and um, we're expected to exert even more self-control, a lot of times we don't or we can't or we lose it for a little bit and then we try and regain it back. And so that's, that's a really interesting concept when you think about what we're expecting our kids to, to do and to, to be like in regards to this, this media and this technology, this video games, the self-control that we're expecting of them, it might not be possible, right? Because the screen is so good at keeping our attention and then it connects us and it makes us feel um, as though we are entertained, which feels good, right? all that dopamine release. So self-control is hard. This can be um, described as your free won't, right? We have our free will to do whatever we want, whatever we want to do, but self-control is exercising your free won't. I have the ability to eat an entire plate of brownies, but I'm going to exercise self-control and not eat any or eat only one piece, right? I'm telling myself I won't do that even though I have the ability to do this full spectrum, right? I could spend all day on my phone watching YouTube, but I'm going to use some self-control and only use it for this short amount of time, right? That's what we really like to see from self-control. So here are some ways, not only for our children, y'all parents, this goes for us too, because we are just as guilty when it comes to screen time and smartphones and media in general, the computer, the television, um, at not exerting self-control and thus not leaving this as an example, being a role model of self-control for our children. So this is some ways for you to develop self-control uh, for yourself and children. Number one, it is possible to learn self-control. You can do this. So first know that it is absolutely possible. It's not something like, well, I just wasn't born with self-control, so it's just never going to happen. I'm not even going to try. No, you can teach it yourself and you can teach it to your children. Um, second thing, know your weaknesses. If brownies, for example, are your weakness, don't keep them in the house. Don't buy, um, you know, the mix. Don't buy the pre-made brownies at the store, whatever that is. If YouTube is your weakness, right? Block it. Give yourself time limits on your phone or your computer, whatever that is. Actually give yourself limits knowing that this is a weakness. And if I don't exert some self-control beforehand by setting that limit, well, then I'm just going to lose it, right? And so that goes into this next point of removing temptations. If you were to give your child unlimited amount of time on video games and um, you had an Xbox at every television. And so if you're like me and you have six children living in the home and you had six Xboxes um, and they had free reign to do it, chances are they're going to exert very little self-control because you've given them all the temptation they wanted and free access to it. 
However, if you remove the temptation, if you put time limits on that, if you only have one Xbox that has to be shared, well, then you are requiring essentially self-control because you're removing the temptation, you're limiting the temptation. The same is true for one of the examples I use in the book is, um, especially for middle schoolers and younger kids with phones, is the sending and sharing of nude photos or sexting. If you prohibit their ability to send and receive pictures, you're removing the temptation. Or if you just frankly turn the camera off, because despite what culture says, children don't have to have a camera on their phone, um, you're removing a lot of that temptation so that when someone asks for a nude picture or asks for you know some sort of like racy or explicit picture, they're not tempted um, to even go there because you've removed the temptation. That is such a key aspect of self-control is removing some of the temptation. The children's smartphones and the technology devices today have so much temptation. And that is one of the best ways that we can help teach them this character, this virtue of self-control. Some other ways to do this, you know, create new habits by keeping it really simple, right? Um, don't create anything elaborate. Um, just goes to, you know, true, like if you're starting a diet, you can't go from eating, you know, 5,000 calories and then go down to like, you know, a thousand, I mean, a thousand calories a day. That'll never work. You will never succeed at that, right? So make sure that it's baby steps. Um, if you've allowed everything and now you want to really rein things in, it's got to be baby steps back down. Keep it simple and achievable and then reward yourself or your child when they demonstrate that virtue of self-control. And remember, out of sight and out of mind truly helps kids avoid that temptation. I mean, encourage your children to um, practice planning ahead. Um, maybe that's drawing a mental picture. Hey, you're going to have an hour of screen time today. You know, think about how you want to use that time, what you're going to do in that time, and what it's going to look like when that hour is up. You know, are you going to stop in the middle of the game, or are you going to keep track of the time? And then even if you're five minutes beforehand, but you're, you know, not in the middle of a game, um, you're just going to go ahead and get off anyway because you don't like stopping in the middle of a game, right? So have them think that through, plan, and create like a mental picture of what it's going to look like to exert self-control. I think this is also great um, in regard to a lot of temptations that are outside of media and technology, talking about what you're going to do if you come in contact with pornography or um, someone offers you drugs or alcohol or something like that. It's creating that mental picture and creating a plan ahead of time. It truly helps build this muscle, if you will, of self-control to have the strength to say no because you've already thought about it in advance. Now, again, these are great things that we ourselves can do. Know your weaknesses um, as a parent. If you're really tempted to be on your phone around your kids at the dinner table um, in the evenings, put yourself on downtime. Um, if you have an iPhone, um, utilize, do not disturb. Those features that are built into the devices can be really great. If you don't have the power to say no or to stop looking at your phone, use the tools that are in your hands in order to achieve that level of self-control. All right, next in the podcast, we're going to be talking about the app Discord. We're going to give you five facts that you need to know about Discord. You may not have heard about this app, but fact one that you need to know is that Discord is a voice and text chatting app or platform. 
It's predominantly geared towards video gamers. It's similar to chatting apps like Skype or TeamSpeak or professional um, chat applications like Slack. And so what it is, is it's free and you get voice calls or video chat, text. You can either text and talk while you are playing a game or you're getting ready to coordinate playing a game together. Um, essentially, these online video games and there's a wide array of chat options, which makes Discord one of the favorites amongst gamers. Fact number two is how Discord works. And essentially it works by servers. And the servers essentially is a chat room. Um, you can create a server and then you can invite others into your server. It can be a private or public server. If it's private, then you're inviting specific friends to be a part of your server where you're going to then inside of there be able to talk and chat, um, even video chat while you are playing. You can be a part of multiple servers at a time. There really isn't a limit at all. And um, there's also what um, Discord recently introduced, which is verified servers, um, sort of playing off the whole verified Instagram sort of accounts. But these are verified. They're, they're actual servers, um, accounts created by game studios themselves or other noble entities that are in the industry that you can follow and sort of chat with either game developers or them themselves, sort of building a brand loyalty, if you will. The third fact that you need to know is that Discord does offer direct messaging with friends. Now, what this looks like is you can do this without being connected on a server. Say you join a server and you have five friends from or your child right, has five friends from school that they can um, talk and text while they're playing one certain video game that you've allowed. Well, you can also add a list of friends from this app that you can communicate with without being on a server. So essentially it gives you a whole direct messaging field off of these servers, but inside this app. So this is similar to the direct messaging that Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all of these other social media platforms have. That's sort of like a backdoor messaging. If you um, are watching your children's texts to make sure there isn't anything appropriate or bullying or anything wrong going on there, yet they have Discord, there can be a whole other you know, back section of discussions going on with friends that not only can occur without you knowing, but can be deleted because those text conversations are all internet app based. They're not actually going to be, um, you may see them if they leave them there, but they can be deleted. They're not going to be there on the actual phone itself. Now, once you have friends, you can message them. Um, the key that a lot of people like is the messaging in there. Um, it's sort of just like text messaging, but it's inside this app where you can send videos, um, you know, funny memes, GIFs, um, emojis, all of that. They give you all of that functionality right there inside of your messaging. Um, so for a lot of gamers, this is a great way to communicate with that. But as a parent, um, know that this can be a way to hide communication. Fact number four of Discord is the privacy and content controls. Like I mentioned before, there can be private and public servers. A private server, obviously not anyone can join. You have to be invited to join. And a public server, obviously anybody can join. Now the admins of any server has the ability to 
um, mute or block other users if for some reason they're they don't want to hear from them anymore, they're not appropriate for the game, or no one invited them, or frankly they were invited, but then they just got annoying. <laughs> Any admin of a server can block or mute. You can also um, deafen a user um, to where they don't have the ability to communicate, or you can block them completely or can kick them out of the server. Um, you can do that as an admin. Then the fact number five is the rating system of Discord. Now the App Store and Google Play um, rate it 12 plus or teen. So the App Store says 12 plus, the Google Play says teen. Discord itself says 13 plus. Again, because they are going to be collecting data and any app that's gonna collect data has to do so with a child knownly over the age of 13. What I did find interesting when I read the terms of service of Discord is that they specifically say, yes, you're agreeing that you're um, over the age of 13, but if you are over 13 and under 18, the terms of service also states that your parent or guardian has also read through these terms of service and have agreed to them. Now, some other apps may sort of imply that, but it was interesting to me that Discord very specifically said, if you are under the age of 18, your parent or guardian has to agree with all of these terms of service. Now, whether or not that happens, right, that's up to you. Now, Brave Parenting's rating for this app, we would generally say 14 plus. Because of the um, ability to have sort of hidden communication, it really isn't appropriate, I would say, middle school and younger when... Um, relationships are easily more volatile. Um, bullying can be um, sort of a pastime um, in, in an immature way. And so the high school and over would probably be the appropriate time. Again, it's based on the maturity of the child. If your child is very responsible with their smartphone and their text messages are appropriate, maybe they don't have any other social media apps. They are you know, into gaming and programming and this type of um, sort of, you know, field is their interest and this is where they want to be. It may be okay, especially if they're on a um, private server and there's several friends in there that you know and that they're communicating with, especially if they're using it in public areas of the home. This could be even more appropriate. But again, if the child doesn't show responsibility um, and maturity with basic communication on a smartphone, such as texting, that they may not be ready for this at age 14 or over. Um, essentially, if you are going to allow Discord, we really encourage you to know it yourself, to download the app, try it, use it. Even if you're not really a gamer, there are some other platforms you know, that you can, channels, if you will, inside these servers that are not about gaming. Just take a look around, see how it works, and make sure that you know how it is before you allow your child to be on Discord. All right, in the podcast uh, today, we're going to be focusing um, on the family focus on video game screen time. Earlier in the podcast, we talked about the World Health Organization's um, standard for screen time, especially for younger children. And, you know, video game screen time is one of the most common questions that I'm asked is, is what do we recommend? What do we allow? So I myself, um, I have six of my seven children still living at home and their ages are um, 17 to 12. So I have um, all right there in that adolescents and teenagers. And for the most part, they all love to play video games. Obviously some more than others, 
but they all will play some at some point. Now, I will say that there is not an exact science number. I can tell you what we do as a family. Um, but again, like the World Health Organization, there are suggested standards for this, but there isn't one specific way because it's sort of taken everything by storm. Um, how much video game time, the fact that some children are becoming um, sort of famous, if you will, in this video game arena. And so a lot of children want to play constantly in order to reach that status level of fame or influencer in a game or even just being paid in order to play the game. So when it comes to your family, the one main role I would say is always to make sure that the screen time is not replacing basically one of these or any of these five things. And the first thing is going to be um, family time. That's so, so important, whether that be meal time or just gathering together, you know, once a week in order to um, watch a movie or go to church or whatever that may look like, but make sure that there's actually quality time built in. There's time for, for conversation um, with your children and that screen time does not dominate that. Another thing that you want to make sure that screen time does not replace is physical activity. That is one of the um, big concerns of the American Academy of Pediatrics as well as the World Health Organization is the rise in obesity because of the sedentary lifestyles that are being lived. And that obviously goes true for video games. You know, are they involved in a sport or will they play video games for a little while and then go outside and run around or ride bikes or play football or whatever that looks like? For my family, they will do that. They will play a screen time and then they will go outside. My children are known to be these kids out in the street, um, constantly playing, sort of disrupting traffic. <laughs> but we live in a cul-de-sac, so it's okay. Another thing that we never want screen time to replace is sleep. Such a valuable resource to our children's health, you know, frankly, as well as ours. And that, you know, for most part should be about 10 hours, right? Anywhere between eight and 12 hours in their adolescence and teen years. Um, I believe there was a statistic that shows that um, over half of teenagers are getting less than seven hours. And so while that may be okay on an occasional basis, seven hours, for the most part during this crucial time of development, we really want to make sure that they have the ability to sleep 10 hours and that screen time or this video game time is not overtaking that. Another aspect that we want to make sure that they're not neglecting is self-care. I read an article many years ago when I first started researching um, content for Brave Parenting that was talking about these young men in Japan who were dying or becoming very ill because they could not stop playing video games. They had started um, to wear diapers so that they did not have to go to the bathroom, stop playing in order you know, to, to go to the bathroom so they'd be wearing diapers. Well, they had dehydrated themselves and several had actually... Um, passed away due to this dehydration because of this level of gaming that we had, they had got involved in. So of course, self-care is so important. And then I feel like we kind of have to mention, yes, the basics, stopping to use the restroom, right? Making sure that you're showering, that you're taking care of yourself, you're eating healthy, um, all of those aspects, drinking enough water, right? Simple things. Um, screen time should never get involved in that. And the last thing we never want video game screen time to replace is relationships. A lot of times children today are now having their relationships inside these games. They're um, playing a game with one or two other of their friends and they're talking, they're interacting the whole time. And that can be really great. That can be 
um, a way to spend time together in relationship. The struggle is, is if they're neglecting um, real face-to-face relationships um, in lieu of just the video game. Even if they're talking with people that they've met online or through the game, that may be okay, but real face-to-face relationships cannot be replaced, whether they be inside the home with siblings or outside the home with peers and friends and in school. That is super important. Remember, the relationships are always greater than the screen. There is always going to be a point in time in life where relationships um, will be crucial. There, You can't go all of life um, as a hermit without face-to-face interactions. And so our role as parents is to make sure that they are not neglecting the relationships, right? So the family time, the physical activity, the sleep, the self-care, and the relationships. Make sure that your screen time um, for your children revolves around those things at the core. Now, our specific rule for our children is if they are passing classes and they're getting all of their basic requirements done, they get about 30 minutes on a school night for the older ones. Um, That doesn't always happen based on our time schedules and whatnot, but really 30 minutes is kind of the limit of, of what we have time for and really all we want them to do. And then on the weekends, they get two hours of screen time. Over the summer, we do allow two hours of screen time, and that is a set time um, every day, sort of Monday through Friday, or even Saturdays and Sundays, um, just because we have so many children, and it's just easier because we do that a lot of reason for us because we can't micromanage everybody's screen time being divided into different sections, different times. So, but again, that's what works for our family. Pretty much anything over two hours, we really don't feel is healthy or even need it. Two hours is that limit. Um, While there may be circumstances where they do play more um, or even my husband may engage with them and they'll play a new game and whatnot that may look like more, that is not the general rule for it. The, The general rule is maybe 30 minutes if they're achieving everything on the weekdays and then two hours on the weekends. But again, decide what standard works for your family and focus on these Um, cores as to what you want to never be neglected. And a note, if your children aren't at that um, adolescence or teen age of playing video games, remember that this whole love and desire for video games really starts on the iPad or your phone as you're getting apps and games that you really, that are promoted to be educational and that you believe are teaching your children uh, maybe reading, maybe a little bit of math, and or maybe just you know singing fun songs. Those are essentially games to them. And so when we allow them to have a lot of those in those toddler years, we can sort of use that screen or that game as a babysitter. They are learning as they grow up that that is their playtime, that is a comfort, that is fun, and it will definitely ring true as they continue to grow old. They will go towards that screen, towards that video game. That is their source of relaxation, right? Not playing outside and burning energy. It's the screen. So think about that too if you're still raising young ones. If you need more resources on screen time or video game controls or um, setting limits on your phone or your computer in order to build this level of self-control, I encourage you to jump over to our newly designed website, braveparenting.net. And you can also go over to Amazon right now and purchase our new book, Managing Media, Creating Character. As I mentioned before, there's an entire chapter on self-control and how to build that character trait through the technology that kids love. 
I thank you so much for joining us today here on the Brave Parenting Podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in media and technology and raising your children in this saturated world. Until next time, go and be brave.